You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Great to be with you guys. My name's Ryan. For those of you that are new, uh, so glad to have you here. Uh, we're going to be jumping into a new series uh, starting today called, Ho- uh, I almost said Hope for the Holidays, Holiday Survival Guide. That's actually the title of my message next weekend. It's called Hope for the Holidays. Uh, so uh, listen, my, my dad's a Christian psychiatrist and back in Little Rock, Arkansas, and went back and visited him this last week, and uh, family's doing good on the Rice Ranch, and it's the busiest time of season for uh, somebody in the mental health uh, practice. Uh, I know a lot of folks can really get discouraged and depressed during the holiday season, and I, would just, I pray that God's going to use the, the next few weeks to really encourage and edify you uh, to, to really grow in a level of godliness and be able to just go through the holiday season and have a great time. Uh, so this morning, before we get started, um, I'm going to need a clock, Nick, or I'll probably run forever. Um, is we're going to invite uh, a couple of folks up from our student ministries and our kids team. And so a third of our church is uh, uh, kids and youth, and we got some important updates for them. So make some noise for Brian and Crystal. You guys come up on stage. Let's go. Come on up. Keep it up, guys. Here we go. Boom. going to move it. Keep it going. There we go. There's our team. All right, right here. Sweet. So we got about a third of our church in children and in youth, and so, man, we are here today to share with you some cool things have happened in North Valley Kids. As I look back, Crystal, I'm thinking back, how many of kids have taken a step forward, worked with mom and dad, have been baptized, and kids that have gone to camp, and every week we're teaching them this uh, the Jesus-centered Bible, walking through the scriptures and all that. So Crystal's on my on my right, and then Brian right here on my left, and so we got some updates. So um, the first, kind of kind of the news is, is that I share with the first service, it's sad and sweet in some ways, but Crystal is going to be transitioning off of the staff team in January and going into a teaching position at some level uh, within the public school system. She taught for a number, yeah, we can celebrate that. And... Uh, uh, Crystal is the greatest. Uh, her husband, Nick McGriff, in the back. There's nothing that happens in this church that's high-level quality without the McGriff crew. And so from the kids' service to the adult services, if that team is on our team, then it's going to go great. We've done conferences at a national level before. We've done kids' programming. We've done all sorts of stuff, and this family has put it together so Crystal, in our first service, I had a gift to be able to give to you, so I gave that, and I don't have a, a fake gift this time to give to you, um, but we gave a gift uh, to, to Nick and to Crystal to show our appreciation and our thanks. Um, you know, a couple of things that I'm thankful for as I think about the church is the investments of folks like Crystal uh, with our kids. Uh, we have high, high level of quality of volunteers and a high level of, of curriculum that we use and Crystal, without you, I don't think we'd have the great North Valley Kids program we had. You stepped in when Meredith and Jonathan moved to Dallas, Texas to do further training and teaching. And you kind of filled into that gap. So I just, can we thank her one more time just for a moment? <laughs> Let me pray for you and then um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you, okay? Lord Jesus, uh, together as a church, we thank you for Crystal. 
Uh, Lord, she has been a, a valuable player to help uh, create a consistency and a quality of all of our ministry within NV Kids. Lord, we thank you for the great privilege and the partnership that we've shared in uh, over these in incredible transitions through our church from the early days when you brought the McGriff family, when we were meeting in the high school, to going to the movie theater, to finally being here, God, you prepared her in our place and to serve. And we're thankful for that partnership. And we pray for extraordinary blessing for the season ahead as she navigates uh, into a new sphere of teaching outside of the church. And we thank you that she'll continue to be a part for to Christ be all the glory in and through their life and the church. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Let's thank her one more time. Thank you, Crystal. Okay, B-Town. So you're here. That's his nickname. If you want to call him B-Town, that's a good name. He's definitely, you've got style right Today here. Today I this, thought I wore a jacket. Look at you. That's great. It's kind of chilly. And so tell me about the shirt you've got on right there. What does that say? So, here, let check me, this let me, out. Wow. What does that say? This says, investing in the next generation at North You Valley. had to read it. You didn't know. Well, they're new. They just got they're, them they're, today. <laughs> okay. So... Brian has been on our staff team for about eight months or so. And no, so, 20, 20 months. No, eight months. No, 20. It started 20? in March from last year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Why did I say eight months? I don't know. Okay. Time flies when you're having fun. Time flies when you're having fun. So 20 months? Are you yeah. serious? Okay, wow, that's yeah, great. Years in March. So he jumped on our staff team, and really at the, at the direction of our North Valley kids, volunteers, and staff said, you got to get this guy on staff. He loves the Bible, he loves Jesus, and he loves kids, he loves youth. And Jonathan, when he was headed out, our, our uh, executive pastor at the time, he said, Ryan, one of my last major requests is you get Brian Carr on the staff team. I said, you got it. So I got him on the staff team, and you've served in multiple roles, executive coordinator, helping me with administration, and like I said in the first service, details aren't necessarily the greatest gifts, but it's okay, it's good. People is your strength. I love people. Communicating, the Bible, all that has been really good. And then so you helped out in North Valley Kids. And so it's been a great privilege and opportunity. Our staff and our elder team has said, let's bring this guy on full time in January. And he's going to be the next generation ministry leader. Uh, he's going to, yeah, we can celebrate that. So... Um, he is going to, he's pursuing pastoral ordination as well within our church and with our elder team. And so we're real excited about that. And so as of January, you're going to be resuming responsibility of all of North Valley kids with the help of some incredible volunteers. And, uh, that's what we need to talk about in just a moment. And you're jumping on the student ministry team, which I've been like, the, Oh, I, I didn't know that that was coming. That's great. I, I, I'm, I'm the student pastor right now, and so you're jumping on board with us, which is a huge help to me and to our ministry, so we're excited about that. So walk us through kind of like some needs that we've got coming up. All right, so uh, if you noticed on the Connect card on the back, we actually went ahead and outlined a few of those uh, needs that we have coming up, and one of our hearts is as we start this new kind of chapter in Envy Kids, investing in the next generation. We want to have an army that just provides the absolute best experience for our kids. And so um, just to highlight a few of them, you'll see the first one is an Envy Kids uh, classroom assistant. And what that does is they get to be in the room. They get to help uh, with crafts. They get to help with activities. They get to sit with the kids and um, 
help point them towards the next position on there, which is the storyteller. And I was going to put teacher, but I think storyteller is so much more fun. Because well, and it's the style of the way we're doing it. Like we're telling the grand narrative of scripture so, and Jesus being the centerpiece. A hundred percent. And so every week we get to share the stories of the Bible. We get to go from Genesis to Revelation and share like step by step uh, the stories of, of how God's impacted uh, our world. And so I just think it's amazing. So that position, if you love to tell stories, if you love to get up, and be fun and animated and share the good news of Jesus, uh, that's a great spot. I'd encourage you to plug, plug in there. I actually had somebody in first service that was so excited about that opportunity. And we get a lot of guys that tell us, uh, man, I learned so much in there. They're new to the Christian faith, and they come in, and they're like, you know, I just have to tell you to be honest, Pastor Ryan, I think I'm learning more than the kids are. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, so that's pretty neat. it's incredible. So there's that. And then there's one more. Uh, then we have uh, basically our check-in process, which okay. is also there. Yep. The NV Kids check-in. So if you love to greet people, we'd encourage you to, to check that box. Um, that's a huge part because when we have new guests, we want to make sure that people feel connected. They know what to do, where to go. Um, so that's another huge piece. We'd love to get some extra people and then, plugged in there. And that's it for NV Kids, right? Yes. Okay. So for Envy Kids, we're highlighting that today. Scheduling. Scheduling. Oh, good. That's the big one. And then the big one, um, the details. The details. There you go. um, With Crystal stepping out, one of the huge roles that she fulfilled was helping manage, uh, just making sure everyone is is ready and prepared on a Sunday morning. And so if you have that level of detail orientation, yeah. Orientation. There you go. And you want to uh, serve in the capacity where you're helping us get the schedule on track each and every week. We would love, uh, I would love, personally, um, someone who could come along and partner with me to make sure we're doing that's a great job. That's probably one of your greatest needs. I that, would say that's that a big one. right there. And so here's my challenge to you guys, is that if you have a kid in the ministry at any level, you should be engaged in that ministry, uh, for sure, okay? Uh, just if, if it's one Sunday a month, you're there. Um, or if you, if you say, you know what, I don't have any kids in the program, but you say, I want to learn, I want to help out, invest into the next generation, come pick up a t-shirt today, and then you meet awesome yep. Brian, and then uh, go from there, right? Yep. Okay. And then the last role that we have is the executive coordinator position. Uh, is that what we call that? Is that what we call it? Yep. Okay. Communications coordinator. Titles don't mean much around here. Um, so we, we've got that position. That's actually a paid position that's available and open. So that Brian was filling into that role and in order for him to invest into the next generation kind of ministry model, he's going to have to let that go. The executive coordinator position, why don't you, the communications yep. deal, tell so, us about uh, that. Basically it's two parts. It's like digital and print. And so that would, that person will be in charge of updating the website, uh, managing, um, the blogs that we do, uh, anything online, our email communications, a lot of that piece uh, will be involved in this new position. And then also our print, so our programs that you guys have every week, our little cards that you guys saw this morning, invite cards, just anything uh, communication-wise that the church participates in, you would be the one helping make that happen. Yeah, and that person I work with on a, a, a weekly basis throughout the week. They can work from home, but we'd need them in the office some um, 10 hours a week is what we're looking for. So that's a huge, in order for Brian to do this, that these things have to be filled. So let me pray and uh, thank Brian for being a part in just a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Brian bringing him into our church and letting uh, him, Lord, 
fulfill the calling that you have upon his life to serve, uh, Lord, your church, uh, to reach this valley for Jesus Christ, equipping and encouraging uh, kids, youth, and parents alike, Lord, to raise up an army for you and for your glory. We pray for him for protection and blessing, and we're grateful for him this Thanksgiving season as we prepare for a new year. Uh, in the ministry. Pray for all the needs that are are present, Lord Jesus. Would you move by the power of your Holy Spirit to prompt individuals to say, I want to invest into the next generation, and then come connect with Brian. We thank you for Brian, and we give thanks for all that you're doing in our church. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. amen. Let's give him another round of applause real quick. All right. Okay, well, we're going to jump right in this morning. I, um, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. And we're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And uh, I've titled this message, uh, Looking Good Over the Holidays. And w- what I mean by that is actually not on the exterior, but the interior. And so, um, you know, when I think about family gatherings and stuff like that, there's been so many different times that my, when I was growing up, my mom and my dad would say, son, is that really what you're going to wear to the Thanksgiving table? Go and change. We're going to take pictures or during the Christmas time and we're snapping photos and stuff. They wanted us to look good. Um, I want to help you this morning to look good in the eyes of God. And as we look uh, at the this Thanksgiving season, I think there's an incredible section of scripture that's going to help us to grow in our gratitude and realize that when we realize our, how blessed we are, it will help us to desire to get dressed. When you're blessed, you ought to get dressed. Dressed for what? Dressed for godliness. And we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this idea, perhaps in your Bible, if you've got an NIV or an ESV, the the kind of subheading is putting on the new self. So just like I put on this shirt this morning, the Apostle Paul uses his language to help you understand. Is there something you ought to wear this holiday season? So let's jump in. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17, the Apostle Paul starts and as a reminder, he says, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And let's just pause right there for a moment. He's saying if, if you're a Christian, if you've been raised to walk in the newness of life, when we do baptisms, we're identifying with the Lord Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone. Whoosh and the new has come. As a Christian, you get a new life. You got a new start. You're not uh, in bondage to the penalty of sin, the power of sin. You have freedom from sin. You have a new nature. The Holy Spirit works in your life, regenerates, gives you a new level of thinking, gives you a new level of power. Things like forgiveness start to flow into your life. Things like love can start to flow in your life at extraordinary levels. Things like peace can start flowing through your life when you go through a hardship. As a Christian, you have extraordinary power. The Apostle Paul's reminding everybody, hey, you need to be thinking about these things. As a pastor, I want to tell you during the holiday season, remember the reason for the season. Remember the reason for the season. It's all about Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. 
Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means it's safe, it's secure, it's not about you, it's about Christ. When, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We got a future. The Apostle Paul's reminding us of, of the great new life that we have as a Christian. But then he's going to use some disturbing language to shock the, the mindset of the readers that he's writing to, to the church in Colossae, about some vices, and then he's going to challenge them with virtue. Verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In other words, mortify it, kill it. Whatever is earthly, that idea of earthly is sinful or wrong. Whatever is bad in you, those things you got to cut off and kill. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. That's anything. It could be pornography. That's sexual promiscuity outside of marriage. It's impurity, he says, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Then he goes on to say, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It means it's there and it's coming. What does that mean? It means God hates sin. He hates perversion. He hates darkness. He hates injustice. And the apostle Paul says, put that stuff to death. But then he goes on to say, and he helps them realize, look, you were there once. Look in verse seven, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. I used to be living in sin all the time. I was held by the power of sin. I was held underneath the penalty of sin. I had no freedom apart from sin. I was a slave to sin. Darkness was around me. I was constantly discouraged. Why? It's because I was a bondage into sin and I had no hope out of sin until I met Jesus. For you, what was your life like before Jesus Christ? Bible says, in these two, you once walked. We used to walk like this, live like this. But then he's giving a challenge and an exhortation. Some commentators say, no, this is for all believers. But now you must put them all away. Put, all, put them all away. What does that mean? It's the language that you're to throw something off, that you're to get these things, these vices that are upon our lives at times and throw them away like a dirty cloth or dirty robe or dirty gowns or dirty clothes. Get them away. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, that's one. Wrath, two. Malice, three. Slander, four. Obscene talk, five. From your mouth. Those are five vices. These are things that you don't want to wear over the Thanksgiving holidays. Verse nine. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So the apostle Paul is using some language here. Put something off, and then put something on. You need to be dressed for success as a Christian, and you need to know that when you're putting on the virtues of godliness, you look great. You look good in godliness. You don't look so good in ungodliness. And he uses this language, put off and then put on. Put on the what? The new self, which by the way is being renewed in the knowledge. This is what you learn after the image of its creator. God's desire is that you look more and more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's at work in you right now, no matter how foul or um, messed up you may feel, 
The Holy Spirit says, well, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, I, you, are, I, you are sealed and you are filled and you can walk in a newness of power and I want to work in your life. I want to help you grow in godliness and he's the helper in it. So he says, continuing on, he said, we're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11, he kind of helps us remember the gospel, knows no boundaries. He says, here, talking about here, as we're proclaiming the gospel in Colossae and around the first century throughout the area there, here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He's going through a list of all the potential racial, racial and religious controversial fractions and factions, and he's saying, Jesus is our common ground. When you gather for the Thanksgiving holidays this season, when you got friends and you got family members and you're at odds and they're coming from different places and different spaces, you can, there is a unity point that we can find and that is in Jesus. Verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved he gives out a list of virtues, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Then he goes on to expound on that idea of patience, and he says, bearing with one another, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also, you also must forgive. We forgive because we've been forgiven. If we're carrying unforgiveness and bitterness, it's going to weigh us down. It's going to hurt us. We got to let forgiveness flow. Verse 14, he says, put on one more thing. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the chief virtue the apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is why God came to the world. Love is, is what ties everything together. It's the chief virtue. And then we get into the thankfulness. If we can do that, if we can put off the old self and put on the new, and we can feel and understand the blessing that we have in Jesus Christ, then we can begin to see this level of thankfulness that we can have. Verse 15, this is a prayer that I pray for my friends and for you as a church and during the holiday season. He says, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ, he said the peace of Christ, now he says the word of Christ, and he says dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. This Thanksgiving season and the Christmas season, my prayer is, is that you realize that there is a peace of Christ to have during the holiday season, that there's a word of Christ that we need to hear about through the holiday season. The reason for the season is Jesus and that we can be thankful. And he closes it out in verse 17 and he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how do you look great or look good over the holiday season? Number one, you need to remember who you represent. Remember who you represent. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in the first couple of verses there. He said, hey, did you know if then you've been raised with Christ, you need to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And so there's a reminder that we all need to have. 
if we're going to look our best and, and live with the reality we are blessed, then we need to remember who we represent. When I go home and visit my family in Arkansas, oftentimes, as I, this last week when I was down there or on the rice ranch, my father will introduce me oftentimes to his friends and say, this is my son, Ryan. He's doing a great work out in the Phoenix Valley. They planted a church. And then he says to me after he introduces me, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for carrying our family name and our values forward beyond this state. Did you know that you represent your heavenly father when you're gathered around the Thanksgiving holiday season and the Christmas season? You represent him everywhere you go. You don't only represent the heavenly father, but you also represent the family of faith. You represent uh, the church, North Valley. And everywhere you go, people, people will associate oftentimes Christianity with you because you're a Christian. And so... If we're going to look our best and feel God and grow in godliness, then we've got to realize that we represent uh, our Lord in everywhere we go. Number two, step two, I would say, is realize what looks bad on you. Apostle Paul spends some time here. He lists out vices. Uh, number one is he, when he says, he says, but you... But now you, verse 8, but you must put them all away. And he lists out anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. To, to, to put them all away means that you're like throwing out the trash. These things are, are dark sins, deceptive sins that happen in the life of the believer and the unbeliever alike. When I take out the trash at my house, I, I get out the foul odors and the de decomposing uh, uh, debris, and I take it outside. We've got a dog in the backyard. My daughter's in charge, of, and my son and my kids are in charge of keeping the yard clean. We've got to take out the trash. And if you don't take out the trash, you, you, you're going to have a stinky house. It is in, in the same manner when he says, put them all away. These are things that got to get away from your life as a Christian. Number one is anger. It's an intense displeasure. It's an annoyance or irritability. James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, said this, that anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Do you struggle with anger? This holiday season, let me tell you something, you don't look good when you're angry. My wife will, will tell me, as I'm, uh, you can just wear your emotions. Sometimes I'll walk in, something's frustrating me, I feel annoyed or I'm irritable. She'll say, what's bothering you? Like, I'm wearing anger. And then she'll say, you don't look so good right now. What's up? These are things you don't want to wear. You got to put them away. Or what about wrath? Wrath is extreme anger, fury, or rage. When you go on the freeway and you see the folks that are struggling with road rage, I mean, maybe you're one of them at times. But the rage, it accomplishes nothing good. This rage is, this wrath is against another person. Wrath is toxic towards the soul and poisonous towards the heart. It disrupts all harmony and peace and the tranquility in the home. Realize you don't look good when you're angry, furious, or at, at outraged. Is there ever a time and a place for anger? And sure, I mean, Jesus overthrew the tables and the temple and there was corruption there. But I think James came in, the half-brother of Jesus, to give correction and just say, hey, 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 you can't just be angry however you want. Don't you know 
that anger seldomly ever produces the righteousness of God. Malice. Malice is another on the list that the Apostle Paul uses. It's the intention to do evil. When you intend to hurt somebody or harm you, maybe somebody over this holiday season that that bothered you or frustrated you or done something against you. Well, if you retaliate with anger or to hurt them back or to pay them back, whatever you feel they do and they deserve, that is what's called malice. Malice, according to Ephesians 4, which mirrors this passage that I'm talking about in, in Colossians, Malice, according to the Apostle Paul and writing to the church in Ephesus, says when you do these kind of things, you're opening up a foothold for the devil to get into your life. If your heart is a home and you open the door for an intruder and the intruder tries, sees that you've cracked the door just a little bit and you go to shut the door and you're, he puts his foot in the door and you can't shut the door because his foot is in the door, that's a foothold. And if the devil's got a foothold, He can barge into your life and rob you and steal from you and kill and destroy. The moment you start opening up bitterness and malice, you've got a foothold problem. The devil's trying to get in. You've cracked the door. He threw his foot in the door. You slammed the door, but that door is not shutting very well. And the reason why is there's bitterness. There's malice. There's some kind of something there. And it's incredibly dangerous and harmful. And the Apostle Paul says, take that stuff and throw it away. Go burn it. Light it up. Slander is another one. Slander is satanic as well. It's the Greek word is blasphema. And it it means an action or a crime of making false spoken statements or damaging a person's reputation, insults, defamation, slurs, damaging remarks. Satan is said to be the father of all lies. Slander is different than gossip. Gossip is when you take something that is true and you say it to the wrong person at the wrong time. That's gossip. Just busybody talking about people. It's just gabbing. Slander is different. Slander is not talking about what is true to the wrong person at the wrong time. Slander is saying something that's absolutely not true to people around you. And it brings incredible damage These are opening ourselves up to dark and demonic things. Uh, Realize that when you slander or when you're angry or when you're malice and you're trying to pay people back, you look your worst. You don't look good. And the Apostle Paul closes out with his list and he says obscene talk. This is what I would say abusive language. If you say things that could crush the heart of a child or you say things that really hurt your spouse or a friend with your words. It's insulting or you're taunting or you're provoking. The Apostle Paul says, have no part in that. Throw that away. Burn that down. Don't wear that. Obscene talk is you sometimes can bully or you lie and you believe that they deserve it. You lie to yourself. And you might have heard in culture, if you're not bleeding or physically maimed, you're not really hurt. That's a lie. You can destroy a family. You can destroy a friend's life with the words that you say. Ephesians 5, 4 says, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are totally out of place for God's people. So step two, you got to realize what you don't look good in. 
And step three, I'm going to ask you to put on the grade eight. What are the grade eight? They're virtues. The Apostle Paul listed out. Uh, virtues are an important part of understanding uh, the life and, and godliness that we're called to. These are the things that we're to put on. And this is what makes you look good is when you're growing in godliness and putting on these virtues. The first is compassionate hearts. Second is kindness and then humility and then meekness. You can, we'll stop right there. Uh, Benjamin Franklin is an American legend. He single-handedly invented the idea of the self-made man. Despite being born into a poor family and only receiving two years of formal schooling, Franklin became a successful printer, scientist, musician, and author. And by the way, in his spare time, he helped found a country and then served as its diplomat. Uh, Franklin would say that his success derived from always trying to improve himself. And he set out an ambition that he would be morally perfect. And he lists 13 virtues that he would live by. And later in life, he, he realized, I'm never going to meet those things. And while Franklin never accomplished his goal of moral perfection, and some more notable flaws was womanizing and his love for beer, and probably gave him problems with chastity, temperance, and he, but yet he would say he benefited from the attempt of them. Virtues make you simply a better person by living them out, but it's not you who's doing it all by yourself. It's God wanting to work in you so that you can represent him everywhere you go. So what are they? Compassionate hearts. The Apostle Paul says compassionate hearts. We need compassion. When you sit down with friends and family and you're looking at them and trying to love them, you need a spirit of compassion upon you. When Jesus looked out and saw a crowd that was lost and in need of a shepherd, he had compassion. When Jesus showed up at a funeral, when there was Lazarus had passed away, they, someone said he'd come way too late. He had incredible compassion. Compassion in the King James Version is translated as bowels, and it means the pit of the stomach. It means in the core of your being, you have compassion. How do you have compassion? I would, I would challenge you to listen to people, to look at people, to lean in. When I'm oftentimes and my wife or a friend is sharing something with me, I need to have compassion. If I don't have compassion, I don't have connection. Compassion challenges me to really listen to somebody that, that something's going on. God wants to use you to listen to somebody's life and what's going on this holiday season. You need to listen to them, look at them, lean into them. Secondly is kindness. Put on the grade eight, kindness. This is a quality of being good and helpful, generous towards others. Romans 2.4 tells us that it's the kindness of God that actually leads us to repentance. So when you're kind, it, it, it's showing off and helping people see Jesus Christ in your life. Kindness is what it enables us to connect with people. Third is humility. Humility is a, a modest or a low view of one's own importance or humbleness. 
I can think of two examples. Uh, Dr. Daryl Delhousse, a mentor friend of mine who serves as a former uh, uh, president of Phoenix Seminary, teaches here at North Valley. Uh, and uh, he would say he's always thought to be a humble man. When he would walk into a room, everybody wants to turn towards him and look at him because he's the president of some great organization. But he said he would always try to say, there you are, and focus all his attention on other people. Oftentimes what we do is if we feel like we're very important, we show up and we say, here I am. And we try to let it all be about us. And it's all about us. And we need to be asking questions. Another one of my friends who's passed away now is Dr. Uh, Pastor Tom Schrader. Some of you guys remember him, started East Valley Bible Church. He said it, that, that there was an unintentional humility that started in his life. He said one Sunday morning after he had stepped down from leading the church after pastoring it for 30 years, he's handing out programs. And these young kids come up to him. He's already retired. And they say, hey, can I have a program, old man? He said, oh, yeah, sure. Here, here, here you go. And they said, who, who are you, by the way? And he said, oh, uh, I'm nobody. And then he, they walked away and they sat down. Later, he told me, he said, yeah, Ryan, it's kind of hard when you graduate from such a high position. He said, I went from a who's who to a who's he. Sometimes humility is intentional. You're going to pursue it. You want to be humble. You, you're going to take that effort. Sometimes life deals you cards where it's almost an accidental humility. My encouragement to you is pursue all of humility. Seek to be humble in all circumstances. Moses, according to Numbers 12, 3, was the most humble man that ever walked on the face of the earth. And he said he got to see God. And then there's James 4, 6. It tells us that God opposes the proud and gives what? Grace to the humble. Or what about in 1 Peter 5, 5, 6? The apostle Peter says, I want you to clothe yourself with humility. Sometimes humility is intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. But take it all. And in that, there's greatness. Number four, there's meekness. Would you put on meekness this holiday season? Meekness is not weakness. When I think of meekness, oftentimes I think of meek and mild, tender little child. That's kind of where my mind goes. But as I've studied the term meekness, it's a supernatural power under a sovereign control of God. Jesus said this powerful statement in the greatest sermon ever given. He said, blessed are the meek for they will what? Inherit the earth. That's control. That's ownership. Meekness is not weakness. No, meekness is power. It's moderation. It's mildness. It's leniency. It's being able to understand. See, the Greek in the ancient times used this word meekness to help understand things like, a, say, a wild horse, a, a stallion that couldn't be tamed. Wild, powerful, strong, beautiful, majestic unruly at times. They would take them in into the stadiums and they would break in the horse. They would train it and it would become this meek, powerful, but under control force. And so meekness is not weakness. My encouragement to you is seek to be moderate, mild, lenient. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Why is it? There's an ease about them that they can navigate through challenging circumstances, keep a level head and an open heart, tough skin, soft heart. Number five is patience. My encouragement is to seek patience. Recently in a, in a neighborhood group, uh, prayer requests were going around and, and somebody says, what should we pray for you for, uh, Leslie? 
And uh, my wife said, pray for patience. And I said, uh, I started laughing. And I said, that's funny, sweetie. Uh, you got anything else? Because we pray for you for patience every day. And she said, well, I need it dealing with you. And uh, the kids. And uh, somebody else chimed in to her defense and said, can you imagine what we'd be like if we didn't pray for these virtues? Patience is a capacity to accept and to tolerate trouble. And then there's, it's long suffering. Who do you need to be patient with? What about bearing with one another? What does that mean? That's different than patience. Some people would like to try to keep all this together. Bearing with one another is really the virtue of forbearance. And what forbearance is, is different than patience. Forbearance is a bit different. It's, it's about withholding retribution. If somebody does clearly wrong against you, you're not going to, even though you have the right to, to retaliate or to punish or to give harsh consequences. Forbearance is the ability to take upon insults, uh, uh, struggles, or offenses and say, even though I have every right to do this, I'm not going to do anything. A proverb, you might want to write this down. It's been with me my whole life as a Christian about forbearance. It says, a person's, uh, Proverbs 19.11, it's not in your notes, it's not on the screen. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. What did I say? It's to your glory when you overlook offenses. Sometimes people will offend you greatly and you have every right to say, I'm going to rebuke you in the name of Jesus. But you stop and you go, you know what? It's to my glory to overlook this offense. I'm going to let this go. Why is that? I don't know. God, God calls us to live a way that emulates and looks more like him. Jesus Christ has put up with a lot. And all the imagery that we see in the Old Testament with the, the blood over the doorpost, with the, with the exodus and the angel of wrath coming on, there's, there's, there's a protection there. There's a blessing there. And when we, as Christians, and we live under the cross of Christ, God is able to forbear. He has lots of forbearance, lots of offenses happening. And he's able to forbear. And then there's forgiveness. Forgiveness is letting it go. It's just sending it away. It's letting it loose. It's canceling the debt. Who do you need to forgive? The Apostle Paul wrote and said, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. If you're not forgiving, then you're not living. Forgiveness is something you just got to do. Forgiving is not forgetting, but forgiving is saying, I'm choosing to cancel this debt. And number eight is love. Love is the chief virtue the Apostle Paul writes in, to the church in Colossae. And he says, above all, all, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together. In other words, it ties it all up. It holds it all together. Your greatest purpose in life for every man, woman, and child is to fulfill the, the purpose statement that Jesus gave for all of humanity is love God and love your neighbor. And what connects the two of your greatest purpose is love. If you can figure out how to love God more in your daily life and love people, you'll be changed. You'll look your best. You look good in godliness. You don't look so good in ungodliness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy and the pleasure of teaching your word. I pray, God, that...
my friends would decide now that they're going to place their faith in you, those who don't know you, and say simply this, Lord, I acknowledge I'm, I sin. I believe in you, Jesus Christ, to forgive my sin. You've raised from the dead. You call me to new life. I confess you with my mouth. I believe in my heart, your Lord. And God, for all of us, that we would say, bring on the extraordinary power from above to help us be our best, God, this holiday season, all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, can we celebrate God for a moment? He's good. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.